Welcome to episode 48 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, what are those crazy backpackers up to next? We'll find out when we check the news for stories. On today's Summit Gear Review, find out what happens when we ditch the traditional mummy bag. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll teach you an ultralight hack for shoes to wear around camp. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a poet who must have spent a little time on the trail. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. Well, a few episodes ago, we spent some time chatting about our preparation for our upcoming trip to the Wallawas in Northeast Oregon in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. We took our trip in September, and uh, I guess what I can say is that it was completely different than what we planned for, right? Yeah, our expectations did not match reality. (laughs) So what happened was, as we discussed, we were watching the forest fire reports and Everything was going okay with the fires. We were also watching the weather report, and that was not going so well. And it turned out that we were going to be in a situation where we could possibly be hiking through a foot of snow in the higher elevations. And so I think it was Friday night before our planned Monday morning departure that Steve, our group leader, said, well, here's the latest forecast a foot of snow. If you guys still want to go, we'll go, but we might want to think of going somewhere else. And so we had about 24 hours to pick a new place for this trip. Now there's nothing wrong with backpacking in the snow if that's what you're prepared for. I mean, it requires a warmer sleeping bag, shoes that can protect your feet in the snow, more food. There's just a lot of elements that change when you get into high elevation and you're coming in contact with snow. And as we were getting ready for the trip, we kept increasing our cold weather preparation. We kept thinking, okay, we're going to go buy an extra base layer. Uh, We're going to stuff in this extra insulating layer. Uh, We might need to get warmer sleeping bags. Like we kept upping the ante until that cutoff point where we went, "Uh, no, we don't have the gear for it. Yeah, it's beyond what we're prepared for or what we want to be prepared for. I'm not quite to the point where I have the desire to camp in the snow or backpack through the snow. And maybe it's because I don't have the skills or some of the gear yet, but I feel I feel more comfortable in the you know summer and shoulder seasons. So if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, you already know the story. The votes came in and it was decided to take the group to the Redwoods. Now, the two of us had just gone to the Redwoods with our kids only six months ago. So for us, it was like, well, this is going to be kind of a repeat. And, you know, we had been so looking forward to the high alpine areas of the Wallawas. One of the things that I had mentioned that I was really excited about was to see a new area where I'd never been before. And, you know, so we had to start taking these things off of our list that had been had been things that we were really looking forward to. And I guess while we were at it, we had to figure out how to put some other things on the list. What can we look forward to about going back to the Redwoods? I thought the trees were taller. I thought they looked bigger. 
It was it was all new to me. They they grew a little over they the did. last six months. <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> no, really, you know, when when plans change last minute, there's that expectation versus the new reality. What what's really going to happen? And so, you just have to be adaptable. And I felt like we had to come to a point around Sunday evening where we were like, okay. This is going to be a totally different trip than what we expected, and it's still going to be amazing. We still had a week's worth of babysitting lined up for the kids, so we were going no matter what. And you know, when it comes down to it, it's just great to get out into the wilderness for a week. I mean, like that can never be a bad thing. One of the ladies that came with us on this trip, she reminded everyone it's all about the people. She was really looking forward to just spending time with this group, and it's a really great group of people. So we had that benefit that we knew we were going out with people that we wanted to spend time with. Yeah, to be with friends for the week out in a beautiful area. You know, no matter where we were to go, I'm sure we'd have a good time just being with our friends. Oh, and making memories, just all the little things that happen that you can talk about afterwards. And it turns out we had some great highlights. It was a much more, um, how should I say, tame trip than what we've done in the past. It was eight miles on Monday and eight miles on Tuesday, gentle downhill along Redwood Creek. So, you know, no wet river crossings. The creek had seasonal bridges over it. It's kind of a walk in the park compared to what we did on Mount Hood last year. But it was still just a beautiful experience walking through those woods. And there were a couple of different things about this trip. After our two days of backpacking, we actually had two nights of car camping in the national park. And so one of our breakfasts was served by Denny's. We got up that morning and we all went into town to Crescent City. I thought we weren't going to talk about that. Oh, we weren't? (laughs) I thought it was kind of like, I was was shocked. Like, we can't be doing this. No. I've got my oatmeal in my bear bag. I know. And it was raining and we used it as an opportunity to do some planning because, I mean, this was a last minute thrown together trip. And so we had the first two days figured out and we didn't know what we were going to do after that. So it was a chance to kind of sit down together around the table, do some planning, have cell service so we could look things up and kind of plan out that day. It's just the way it happened. It was really helpful, actually, because we, like you said, we had those two first days planned out, but then it was just, you know, we didn't have anything after that. And yeah, I think we just kind of needed a roof for a little while to kind of come together, figure out what what was going to happen next. So yes, as embarrassed as I am that we went to Denny's on a backpacking trip, it's okay. And it made for great memories. And it was it was what we needed right then. And I think the other big highlight for me from the Redwoods was that same evening, Wednesday evening, we had actually driven over to Crescent City again, the two of us, because we were going to look up kind of a, a tag on backpacking trip that we were going to do after the Redwoods. And uh, as we drove back to our campground, we noticed that the clouds were clearing and the view from the beach was amazing. We found it like a million sand dollars. A million? And what? <laughs> I found like 14. <laughs> okay. Okay. 14 sand dollars. We rich. We rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All up and down the beach. It was just such a beautiful place. It was really enchanting. We loved it. One of my highlights of the trip, and this is just stuff that you can't, you just don't know is going to happen, but just seeing and hearing the excitement from two of our group members who had never been to the Redwoods before. 
just their astonishment in the grove of trees where we were hiking. It was really fun to hear that. This trip was shorter than planned because like we said, it was thrown together last minute as a backup. And so the rest of our group headed home Thursday morning. We still had babysitting through Friday. So we we're like, well, we've still got another night. We're, we're not heading home. <laughs> we got to find another place. We just happened to have a, a book in our car of uh, backpacking trips in Oregon. I was going to read it on the way down. I had no idea we were going to be uh, actually using it on this trip. So we opened up that book and we found that there was a trip that we could do that was pretty much right on our way back home. It was probably no more than an hour out of our way in driving. And it was the Rogue River, which runs from near Crater Lake in southern Oregon, and then it heads west and goes all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. Well, there's one section of it with 40 miles of trail along it, and it's kind of this wild section. It has an access point at each end of the 40 miles and one road access point in the middle. Otherwise, it's wilderness. And we thought, let's do that one. Quick overnighter. Not, not all 40 miles, <laughs> of course. We did about three miles of it. You know, three miles in and then right back out. It's definitely somewhere where we'd like to go back. And so even though that was just a quick 24-hour trip that was kind of a last-minute add-on to our, um, to our week-long trip, it was a real highlight for me. It was just great to pick a place, kind of spur of the moment, and go and check it out and explore. Well, from time to time, we like to look at backpacking stories that have come up in the news. I think we did that a few episodes ago, back in the spring, and uh, we've come up with five of them from over the summer for today's top five list. The number one story, and this is big news for you National Park fans out there, is Yellowstone National Park tops three million visits this year. This is actually their highest visitation year on record. There are a couple things that they attribute to this success on top of all their amazing features and animals and gushing geysers. But they have a new campaign out there. It's called Find Your Park. It's a public awareness campaign. I think another thing that maybe will contribute to their growing success in the future is that all fourth graders this year will be receiving a National Parks Pass so they can go to any of the national parks for free. So it's a pass that gets the family into the park. And another factor that we really can't deny is that gas prices were really low this summer. And so, you know, made it easier for people to afford the travel. The second story is about a mother-daughter pair that did the Bob Marshall Wilderness. Except this mother-daughter pair is a pair of Cocker Spaniels. <laughs> you caught me off Come guard. Come on, laugh. There. I, <laughs> I know. You were like, what? I couldn't remember reading that story. I was so confused. <laughs> These two Cocker Spaniels were on a trip with their host family, or their owners, and they got lost from the cabin they were staying in. The family spent the entire rest of their vacation driving up and down roads and walking up and down trails to try to find their dogs. And by the end of the trip, they figured it was a lost cause. Uh, they notified search and rescue and the sheriff's office and so on. Now, these weren't just your standard dog owners either. These people were dog lovers. They had six other dogs, but boy, to lose two dogs on a trip, that would just be heartbreaking. So two weeks later... These dogs came stumbling down the trail and met up with a trail crew that was doing improvements and repairs on the trail. They looked pretty haggard, pretty skinny. Their feet were just worn out. And so this trail crew took them in and actually carried them 
down to the trailhead. At first, the crew was worried, oh, here's a couple dogs, no owner. Is the owner in trouble? But uh, they radioed down to the sheriff's office, and they were able to call the phone number that was listed on one of the dog's tags and learn that the owners were fine and that they had just been missing their dogs for these two weeks. So kind of like uh, that movie, The Incredible Journey, played out in real life. They had probably traveled about 200 miles over the two weeks. Just a couple of Cocker Spaniels. Wow. Well, I love stories with happy endings. So I don't know if you've noticed this, Josh, but every once in a while when you check the news, there's a story that has a headline. And then when you read it, you're like, that's not news. That's just life. But anyway, this headline caught my attention. Moms who get outdoors with their toddlers. That's not news. Moms have been doing this for ages. But the pictures that accompany this little paragraph article are beautiful. It's moms who are getting outdoors with their, you know, two to three-year-old kids. And you see kids rock climbing. You see them backpacking. You see them doing these great things, all with their mom who's training them along the way to love the outdoors. So while technically this isn't a news story, it's really great that this is appearing in the news. And our fourth news story is about a dad who got in the outdoors without his toddlers. James Hams showed up in the news back in May 2015. He's a thru-hiker on the AT, but he's not your average thru-hiker. He was actually arrested in May 2015 for embezzlement charges. Back in 2009, so six years ago, he was facing accusations of embezzlement from his employer, and so he took off. He left his employer, his family, and just headed out onto the Appalachian Trail. He's been through hiking the Appalachian Trail for the last six years. And finally, in May, someone recognized him from watching a TV show that had a story about him. It's pretty incredible because if you saw the before and after pictures, I have no idea how he could be recognizable. This guy went from clean-shaven businessman to Grizzly Adams over the last six years and looked totally different. And as I read the story, two questions came to my mind. First of all, he has pled not guilty to the charges, so we don't know if he really embezzled the money. But if he had, or if it was me, and I had embezzled the money, and I ran off to the Appalachian Trail and hiked there for six years, I wonder, would it haunt me? Or on the other hand, I've also experienced that when you get out on the trail, it's like you you have this opportunity to just leave your other life behind you. Almost like you become a different person and you live a different life. And I wonder if that is kind of how it was for him, that it was just leaving behind an old life and living a completely different life. Yeah, well, he had a trail name. He kind of had the opportunity to leave behind his past identity. I'm just wondering if he really did want to leave everything behind, why did he pick such a well-known trail? I mean, it's basically the a super highway in the world of backpacking. It's very, very busy, lots of traffic. And yet even on the AT, six years before he was recognized. Well, it'll be fun to follow up on that story and see if, uh, see if anything interesting happens. And our last backpacking in the news story is about a 71-year-old Alabama man who backpacks hundreds of miles each year with no plans to stop. 
And what I love about this article is that he calls backpacking a forever sport. That means no matter how old you are or how young you are, it's something that you can do your entire life. And even though he calls backpacking a forever sport, he didn't actually start backpacking until a couple decades ago. He has a personal goal of hiking a thousand miles a year, which I guess, what would that be? Three miles a day or three times seven, 21 miles a week. Yeah, and he has this daily route that he takes that's, uh, what is it, five to ten miles, I think? He's definitely exceeded his goal then. Yeah, he exceeds his goal most years. And you know, when you're backpacking that often, a lot of times you can't get a group together. So he said he goes 50-50. You know, half of the time he goes alone and half the time he goes with a group. But the one thing that he always takes with him now is the Spot, which is a personal satellite GPS tracking device. So he can push a button and let people know that he's okay or push a button and let people know that he needs help. That has given his wife a lot of peace of mind. He actually started out as an avid runner in his 40s and had a lot of uh, knee problems. So he had to stop running and then walking, he just thought was way too boring. And so he moved out onto the trails. Well, if you want to read any of these uh, backpacking in the news stories that we just shared, just head over to the show notes for this episode and we'll have links there. It's the first40miles.com slash 048. For today's Summit Gear Review, we are reviewing the Enlightened Equipment Enigma Quilt. Backpacking quilts are gaining a lot of popularity on the trail. They're everything that a sleeping bag isn't, and they allow for the freedom of movement and give you a lot of comfort on the trail, especially if maybe you feel a little bit claustrophobic in a mummy bag. So a backpacking quilt is a little bit different than the type of quilt that you put on your bed. A backpacking quilt will typically have a place to put your feet, and then the rest of the quilt kind of wraps around you. And it's, it's not rectangle. It's just kind of more form-fitting, but it doesn't, it doesn't zip. So you have the total freedom and total flexibility of a quilt that you would use at home, but with a lot of features that you would want on a backpacking trip. So the Enlightened Equipment Enigma quilt is 800 fill power of down. And this isn't just regular down, this is actually water repellent down. It comes with a storage bag, and then it also comes with a stuff sack that you can use on the trail. But on my last trip, I stuffed it into a Sea to Summit dry compression stuff sack, and we'll be doing a review for that in just a couple weeks. The Enigma quilt is completely customizable. So you can customize the color, you can add a water resistant strip to the torso area of the quilt, You can adjust the fill power, the girth, the length. Everything can be altered on this quilt because it is a completely custom quilt. As far as utility, the quilt has a foot box, which is dreamy because your feet fit right in that little box down there. You don't have cold feet in the middle of the night. You don't feel claustrophobic in that little box because it just holds your feet. And that's what makes you feel so toasty when temperatures really drop. It also has a drawstring so you can kind of cinch down around the neck in case you wanted it to be a little bit more snug on you. Like I said, it doesn't wrap completely around you and zip up. It kind of lays on top of you, kind of like a little, uh, well, like a little bridge, just like you're sleeping under this little bridge of down. 
The Enigma quilt does come with a couple straps to keep the quilt attached to your sleeping pad, which I actually didn't use the straps. I just unhooked them and didn't attach the bag to the pad. And it actually works with any pad. You just put the straps underneath the pad and attach them. For mass, this entire quilt weighs 19 ounces. And of that 19 ounces, you get 14 ounces of fill. So that's 14 ounces of down, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is incredibly warm. It just, it's so fluffy. It traps all that warm air and just holds it right over you. And this compresses down to about 7 inches by 12 inches, which if you have the compression bag, you can definitely get it down a little bit tighter than that. For maintenance, really down bags should not be washed frequently and you shouldn't get them dirty. I like to treat this bag as like a precious heirloom that I want to keep for 30 years because it's such an effective piece of gear. I want to have it until I'm in my 70s. And the only reason that your down bag or your down quilt would get dirty is with your body oils. I mean, you're not going to be dragging it around the mud. You're not going to be sleeping on the dirt with it. So what you want to do is just wash it infrequently with a special down cleaner. And Nick Wax Down Wash is a good one to use. But also, if you wanted to treat the water repellent down, you can use Nick Wax Downproof, and that's specially formulated for water repellency for your down gear. So it's not an actual wash, it's more like a treatment for your down. For investment, this Enlightened Equipment Enigma quilt is going to cost you about $10 a year for the next 25 years, so that's about $250. That's one way to look at it. I love it. <laughs> that's how I look at it. This is a lightweight, high-quality piece of custom gear that you can truly make your own. So you can select the outside color and the inside color, but also for a price increase, you can increase the fill power of the down used. You can even have that water-resistant strip in the torso area, and they also have long versions, wide versions. So depending on what features you choose, the price is going to increase. Because each quilt is made custom to order, uh, expect to take two to four weeks for delivery after you order. But as Heather said, down bags last a really long time. It's really not uncommon to have a down bag that goes for 30 years. I don't think that I would get that much life out of a synthetic bag. It seems like the th synthetic insulations tend to compress over time and become less effective. Yeah, in fact, we had an experience on our last trip where I brought the Enlightened Equipment Enigma quilt, which is a 20-degree quilt, and Josh brought one of our old 20-degree sleeping bags, and even though his sleeping pad was rated at a much higher R-value, he slept somewhat cold on some of those nights. Not extremely cold, because it wasn't even that cold when we were down there, but just, you know, he wasn't toasty. And I had the best camping sleep of my life. It was incredible. And of course, I felt extremely guilty. <laughs> but it was so, so wonderful. So for my experience with this quilt, I felt like it had all the features that made it part of a very practical sleep system. And it removed all the parts that make sleeping in a traditional sleeping bag so uncomfortable. And if I could just put it into one word, it would be unoppressive. 
I really feel like sleeping in a mummy bag is so constricting constricting and oppressive and i feel like when i twist around it gets all tangled up on me i mean i had the complete opposite experience with this enigma quilt it just felt like it was barely hovering over me and when i twisted and turned in the middle of the night it just kind of hovered it was like it was anti-gravity it just felt like Yeah, it just felt like it was hovering. It was the coolest feeling. We had originally planned on testing out this 20-degree quilt in the Wallawas, where we were expecting nights with low temperatures in the 20s. Uh, That didn't happen when we went to the Redwoods. So in the Redwoods, I mean, our low temperatures are what, around 50 degrees? Maybe the high 40s? So that's a really really easy test for a 20-degree quilt. On the other hand, the Redwoods did provide lots of wetness. And one of the things I've always been worried about is, can I take down to these really wet places close to where we live here in the Northwest? So we did have an experience where we had to move the tent from one campsite to another campsite. And when we put the tent on the new spot, the ground was completely wet and ended up kind of soaking through the bottom of our tent because we didn't have a footprint under our tent. And so the edge of the down quilt got a little bit wet. So I did something that I'd read about, but I'd never tried, and that is drying out gear with your own body heat. So what I did was I picked up the edge of the quilt and I kind of tucked it underneath my arms and it ended up drying out by the morning. Every night I used this quilt, I kept saying to Josh, it feels like I'm being hugged by baby clouds. That's exactly what it feels like. And I know that sounds super dorky, but that's exactly what it feels like. So for the first time in my camping and backpacking life, I feel like I enjoyed the sleep that I earned after trekking for miles. And like Josh said, it wasn't a a true um, temperature test of this 20 degree quilt. But as far as wetness goes, it stood up to the test. And as far as comfort goes, I mean, that was just a huge thing for you to feel like you had the room to move around, to have it so light on top of you. And not having any insulation below you, well, you had your sleeping pad. And the sleeping pad does what it's supposed to do. It insulates even while you're pressing down on it. A sleeping bag, the bottom part of your sleeping bag that's underneath you, it just gets squished by your body weight, so it really doesn't insulate. So by having this quilt, it gets the insulation in the spots where it'll actually make a difference and at the same time, gives you that freedom to move around. Yeah, I guess originally I was worried about the drafts. You know, like when you move around, are you going to get this puff of cold air? That didn't happen either. And even though we tested at really mild 50-degree temperatures, I will say both of us tend to sleep cold. And so for comparison's sake, I was in a 20-degree sleeping bag, and I was putting on my thick wool socks and my wool beanie along with my base layers, to stay about right at night. There was one night I was a little too cold, so I added the hat on my second night. And that kept me about right in my 20-degree bag on a 50-degree night. I don't know. We just tend to sleep cold. And I ended up sleeping a night using my just my base layers and a shirt and not even socks. Yeah, so we know that, that your down quilt was warmer and more comfortable than what I was in. So that was the Enlightened Equipment Enigma Quilt 
definitely check it out. We will have it in the show notes for this week's episode. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have DIY ultralight camp shoes. Ultralight is such a buzzword in the backpacking world, and these shoes do not disappoint. So the first thing that I want to do when I get into camp is take off my shoes. My feet always feel like just a little bit cramped, a little bit moist and warm, and my feet have swollen throughout the day. There's grit and dirt in there, and so taking the shoes off is a huge reward for coming to the end of a day of hiking. So if you want to bring an ultralight pair of camp shoes, here is what you do. Get a pair of old shoe inserts and a couple of hair bands, or you can use wide rubber bands or those silicone bracelets that kids wear. And this works best if you just take inserts out of some shoes that you already own. So don't go out and buy a pair of shoe inserts because those are actually going to weigh a few ounces more. The pair of shoe inserts that I took out ended up weighing 1.5 ounces for the pair. And then once I added the hair bands, they ended up weighing 1.7 ounces for these little camp shoes. These shoe inserts that you used, were they flexible or rigid? Oh, they were definitely flexible. Okay, so as you walked along, did they kind of flop back underneath? I, I kind of experimented with this a little bit, and I had the best success when I used two hairbands per foot or two of those silicone bracelets. Then the shoes stayed more secure. This is an ultralight camp shoe where you're going to be giving up maybe some comfort. You know, you can't use these as trail shoes. You can't use them as river crossing shoes. You're just going to use these basically to protect your feet and give your socks and shoes a chance to air out. So this is really the perfect hack for the gram weenie or someone who just wants to, you know, maybe pack something that they would only use if they were going to stay in camp and uh, not go do any kind of adventuring after dinner. Yeah, this is a really minimalist camp shoe. So, you know, anyone who tries this out, we'd love to hear how it worked for them. You know, was it a great backpack hack or was it a great backpack fail? So do you wish that you had brought your zero shoes for camp? Yeah, for some of the stuff that we were doing, I really kind of wanted a little more stability, a little more protection, um, something that would actually be able to work as a trail shoe and not just a camp shoe. As a side note, back in episode 27, we had a top five list of things that we wanted to try on an upcoming backpacking trip. And one of those was quote unquote barefoot hiking or barefoot backpacking. In reality, that means wearing what's termed a barefoot shoe. And uh, we both have a pair of zero shoes. That's X-E-R-O. And they're just a, a very thin sole with a couple straps to go around your feet and keep them on. I wore my zero shoes all summer. Like I was either barefoot or in my zero shoes. And so when our trip came up in September, I packed my zero shoes. They were kind of packed as camp shoes. But in the back of my mind, I had this thing from episode 27 where, yeah, I want to actually see what it's like to walk in these things with a full backpack on. And so day number one, we got to camp. I changed to my zero shoes. Day number two, I just kept my zero shoes on and did the eight miles in the zero shoes. And uh, because when I first put them on on day one, I was like, whoa, these are so wonderful compared to my full-on hiking shoes. They're so free. 
And so I did the whole eight miles of day two with the zero shoes on. And then as the rains came, I decided to leave on my zero shoes because I thought, well, if my shoes are going to get wet, if I wear zero shoes with no socks, then I can get as wet as I want. I'll just dry out. So I actually went through the rainy day with my zero shoes as well. So whether you bring these ultralight camp shoes that we did for our backpack hack of the week, or you bring some other camp shoes, it is kind of nice to have an option. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Robert Frost. He gave us the perfect quote for our Wallawas trip that didn't happen, but it will happen next year. He said, the afternoon knows what the morning never suspected. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Episode four. <laughs> yeah, we're starting over. <laughs> <laughs> He's 71 right now, which you're pretty close, huh? <laughs> <laughs>